What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Off the Wall Podcast. We have a super fun show today after a really exciting week of sports. I'm Andrew George, joined by Mike Smith. Mike, how we doing? Oh, dude, I'm doing fantastic. Obviously, if you live in Northeast Ohio, this has been kind of a roller coaster week for sports. Um, perhaps the Indians died for the Browns to rise after what happened this week. However, we will take a Browns win in the playoffs and certainly get to that soon. And then, of course, the CFP last night, just a lot of interesting stuff going on. But, dude, I, I haven't been more stoked for an episode in a while, I think. Yeah, I think uh, I don't know. There might just be some screaming once we get to the Browns. I don't. I don't I'm not. I'm not sure what, what that conversation is going to look like. It's. It's. It's unbelievable. So, but before we get to that, let's pump the brakes in the NFL. Um, you mentioned the CFP last night. Ohio State got smacked by Alabama. Um, Mollywopped. Oh, just absolutely zoinked. Just was not <laughs> even <far. laughs> so. Um, yeah. What you have? What are your What are your thoughts on kind of what you saw from the game? Maybe going forward. Uh, uh, yeah, just general thoughts on the game last night. So, yeah, a few things. Um, Alabama was clearly the best team in college football this year, and I think this game kind of proved that point. I mean, it wasn't even close halfway through the second quarter. Um, I, I do want to touch on Devontae Smith, who was the Heisman winner. And, dude, it was unbelievable last night. He made – and Ohio State's secondary has struggled this year, but he made them look like they've never played football before. <laughs> No, like seriously, and, and think about it too, because he dislocated his finger, what, really early in the third quarter, and he still put up 12 receptions for 215 yards and three touchdowns. I really think, Andrew, had he stayed in for all four quarters, I think he would have been pushing the 350, 400-yard mark. I mean, he was open damn near every play. It was ridiculous, but amazing to watch. I mean, even if you are an Ohio State fan, you have to appreciate that greatness, and Personally, I'm not an NFL scout by any means, but I do think it's going to translate to the next level. Uh, Mac Jones looks solid. I mean, I, I think we can both agree he's not going to be doing great things at the NFL level, but he did what Alabama quarterbacks are supposed to do that aren't a Jalen Hurts or a Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, my comparison would probably be A.J. McCarron, um, just in the way that they – maybe a bit of a better thrower, at least on the yeah. college level, because I think he's put up better stats, although – he also has the receiving core that he has. So um, the OSU couldn't tackle Najee Harris either, or anyone for that matter. But Najee Harris is a tank. He'll be good at the next level. Um, it did hurt Ohio State not to have Trey Sermon in there after the first drive, although Master Teague stepped up and still played pretty well, um, about as well as you can against an Alabama defense like that. So I know it sucks for Ohio State fans, but they still won the Sugar Bowl, um, or excuse me, the Cotton Bowl. They still had a great year. I think Ryan Day this year has proved that he'll be their coach for a while. Um, they're still going to be able to recruit better than anyone, basically in the northern side of the United States or the Midwest, because for the most part, uh, college football is dominated by the South now. Um, but I, I think he'll be there for a while. He's a young guy. Um I do have a couple things I want to bring up to you in the form of questions, and I'll let you get to your thoughts first, but I do have a couple questions I want to pose to you after you do. Yeah, for sure, and uh, I, want to, I want to go back to Devontae Smith just because, I mean, like you said, I, he, I just think the most miraculous, like just the most miraculous thing we saw yesterday was everyone knew the ball was going to go to him, and they still couldn't cover him. 
like no. I mean, you know, like you know, number six is going to get the ball. Like they're going to do whatever they can, and, and part of that, I mean, part of that is Steve Stark's um, Sarkeesian, what he did with kind of drawing up that offense, uh, wishing the best of luck at Texas. But I think, I mean, that's just the craziest thing to me is you know this guy's going to try to torture you, and you still cannot do anything about it. Um, and I think speaking about him at the next level, um, I was talking to my brother during the game and. Uh, he made a good point, like a good player comparison, who was uh, Odell Beckham Jr. in terms of the way that he accelerates after the catch. Because if you think about it, like, I mean, Odell's got, I was looking, I think, an extra like 15, um, close to 20 pounds on um, Devontae Smith because he's Smith's going he's gonna to need to put on muscle at the next level because um, he is super, super thin, and he's, he's going to get hit at the next level just given the speed of corners there compared to um, the collegiate level. But I think... Uh, I think that's just interesting to see like that Odell comparison, even little Isaac Bruce uh, for my Rams fans out there, similar size, uh, speedy guy, good after the catch. So just a hell of a performance. Devontae Smith um, you mentioned Najee Harris. I think he's going to be a stud at the next level. Patrick Sertain, um, Dylan Moses, uh, the heart of that defense uh, um, inside linebacker. I think he's going to be, be a steal. He's probably a mid round pick, uh, but no, I mean, I mean, like you said, Alabama just, just a much better team, like just a noticeably, a noticeably better team, and it really wasn't even close the whole game. So, like it's like it, it does suck for Ohio State fans, but I mean, I mean you can't compete with that much talent on the other side. No, and that's why, and I think that leads into this question perfectly that I have for you because I think that they are. But my question is. Is Alabama the greatest dynasty in college football history? And I think that they are, and I consider that time period since Nick Saban won his first championship to now. And I think if he wasn't already, because he definitely made a strong case for being, I think it's hard to argue against him being the greatest college football coach in history. And I mean, like him or hate him, I know a lot of people don't necessarily like his demeanor, for lack of a better way of putting it, because he can be kind of a dick during interviews sometimes. I think a lot of great coaches are kind of that way, and I think he just gets irritated easily, and he's kind of older. So I don't really hold that against him. But he I don't know. To me, he has to be the greatest coach in college football history, and to me, this is the greatest dynasty. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to disagree with that. I feel like uh, the the recruiting year after year and just about as consistent as any team really in any sector of sport, I feel like. I mean – We've talked about it on the show before how kind of predictable um, the CFP is, and part of that lies with whether you want to expand the playoff or how teams recruit like that. But I mean, it's about as consistent and as about as reliable as you, you would think. Nick Saban in Alabama just producing greatness. So I mean, then you think he passed Bear Bryant um, with national title wins last night, if I'm not mistaken. But so I mean, no, it's yeah, it's I, I agree, it's it's consistent greatness, and there's really no other way to put it. No, and of course, they always produce a ton of NFL players in each draft, Um, especially defensively. A lot of them do go on to have good success in running backs, particularly too. Another question I have for you, and I think this one might be a harder one, but is Justin Fields the greatest quarterback in OSU history? Now, I know he only played two years, and this one was shortened because of the delay in the Big Ten season. But, I mean, the dude was breaking records in just two years, and from a pure what he can do on the field aspect and talent aspect, to me, I definitely think you can make the case. And I don't know too much about Ohio State's history prior to the 2000s, to be honest. 
But right now, I would put him up there among the greatest in OSU history, if not the best. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of I'm kind of with you in terms of my knowledge of OSU football. Like like you said, we have a pre two thousand isn't really that great aside from like Eddie George and just knowing kind of the big names. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, another name that comes to mind, uh, Troy Smith. I was a big fan of. Um, yeah. So I mean, yeah, Troy Smith can definitely hold his own in this conversation. I mean. I don't know, like I like I don't really know the like the numbers, but off the top of my head, but I don't know. I mean, Fields is definitely up there, but I guess something that comes to my mind is I feel like each year there's just, especially in recent years, like there you had JT Barrett. Um, I mean, now you have Fields, Cardell Jones stepped in that uh, like that that one year, but I just feel like there's always I don't know, there's always that next man up, and it just seems like we saw it. Just seems like records are always going to be getting. It seems like they're getting broken more than not i don't know if that makes sense like it, we like you, you heard during the broadcast yesterday um nobody thought what lsu did last year would ever be repeated and then alabama comes and it's like oh is now is this the best offense ever i just feel like talent especially especially younger talent with like whether it be the technology or just how more developed they are like players younger i feel like it's just increasing and increasing as time goes on so Maybe Fields is the best like of all time for OSU right now, but I mean, will that even hold? Is something to think about just because of that talent consistently increasing, uh, and just the way kids are kind of almost groomed from a younger age. So we see it a lot in basketball, but I mean, I think that I think that holds across other sports as well. Like we see it in football. So I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> No, I mean, it does. And I think something interesting to note, too, and I forget his name, um, but the quarterback they have coming in as a freshman next year, I believe, class of 2021, is actually the number one on ESPN's top quarterback rankings. So, I mean, they're always going to have the talent of the position. Um, and I guess, you know, like you said, and I do think, and we've had this conversation before, I think athletes today are better than they ever were but i think that's because of technology so don't disrespect the greats in that i think if you give all-time greats and you know say the 60s 70s and prior to that the same technology they would still be great so it's not to discredit them but i think it is a credit to how each sport evolves um and how athletes just evolve i mean they get better and better so i definitely i think that's a fair point to bring up i also want to mention too because um you did bring up JT Barrett in that conversation. I just want to go out of my way to say this because this was a pet peeve of mine whenever he graduated from OSU. He got shit on a lot, and I know it was hard for him to win the big game because it, it, he was limited in his throwing ability, to be fair. But still, the dude set many records at Ohio State, and he should be appreciated as one of the best. So I just want to throw that out there as a pet peeve with uh, JT Barrett. But yeah, I mean, just to go back to last night's game and sum everything up, Blowout by Alabama. Um, Ohio State will be competitive next year. So I think it makes it easier when um, one of your teams in Northeast Ohio, that being the Browns, won last weekend. We will put that on the back burner as we go to the NFL because we're going to save that game for last. As I know for you and I and a lot of our listeners, that is our most uh, the matchup we're looking forward to most in regards to the NFL. But as we transition here, I mean, I'm telling you, man, I was pumped for Super Wild Card Weekend. It lived up to expectations. I kid you not, I watched all six games. I was kind of a bum this weekend, but I don't even care. It was 
it was awesome to be able to watch all that football. A lot of the games were good. You got different types of games. Um, but we will start here looking forward to this weekend with, I think the game, and I think all four games will be good this weekend, but I do think this is the one that is the least intriguing to most people. And that is the Los Angeles Rams versus the Green Bay Packers. I will turn this one over to you. What do you have going into this weekend with that Rams and Packers game? Yeah, so before I, before I get into this matchup, uh, I just definitely want to back up what you said in terms of just how awesome this last weekend was. Uh, even for I mean, I know we're definitely going to get to the Browns, uh, but even just all the other games, uh, close matchups for the most part. Um, even if the final score didn't show that for a couple ones, um, cough, cough, the Bears and Saints and uh, a couple other ones, but oh, we'll I, get I, into that Bears yeah. situation here in a moment. But um, no, I mean just a lot of fun games, and I like you. I'm even more excited for um, these next four coming up. So yeah, I'll hop into the Rams Packers. This is definitely the least intriguing matchup to me. Um, I before I get into the matchup, I feel like yeah, we got to shout out Jared Veld here, offensive tackle. Um, for those of you that did not see, he's he is now after being signed to the Packers, the first dude to play with two teams in the same postseason, which what? I think is wild. Yeah, did you hear about that? It's it's insane. No, I didn't. That's actually crazy. Yeah, the Colts. Um, because he was on. I think I think he was on like a one year deal with the Colts or something, and um, Packers signed him to I think their practice squad. And then brought him up. So now he's the first guy to play with two teams in the same postseason, which is just absolutely insane. So shout out Jared Vell here. I know you're listening. Um, and uh, yeah, so got to lay that out first. And then so <laughs> into the actual matchup uh, for me, I think just Jalen Ramsey versus Devontae Adams is must see yeah. TV. I mean, that's, I mean, we saw um, Ramsey on DK Metcalf, but I think this is a different, this is a different beast with Devontae Adams just in terms of, a guy who's just much more developed than Metcalf right now. So really excited for that matchup. Aaron Rodgers is, to me, unquestionably the MVP. I don't even think it should be a discussion with Pat Mahomes. There's no disrespect to Pat Mahomes, but if you take Rodgers off the Packers, as is with every year with Green Bay, they're picking top five, top ten. Like, I mean, they are they are not a good team without Aaron Rodgers. And I don't I don't think that's a hot take. I think he's without a doubt the MVP. And I'm someone who likes the Bears, so I mean, this is, uh, I mean, this is just about as clear I feel like as it is in terms of that race. Uh, Green Bay's defense has been coming together the back stretch of the season. That's it, definitely going into the year, and the last couple of years has been their weak spot is defensively is can they hold their own against better offensive teams? But I think the last couple of weeks of the regular season they started to really come together. Um, but then you got a defense in LA on the other side, which we saw what they did to Russell Wilson and. While Rodgers is a different beast, I mean, Russell Wilson's no scrub, Super Bowl winning quarterback. I think I think we'll go down as a pretty underappreciated guy, honestly, when it's all said and done. But So I think if L.A. – I think the only way they have a shot at even winning the game or just – I think they're going to be able to keep it close just based off of their ability to control the speed defensively. But I think if they have a shot, they need some big-time plays from the defense in terms of – maybe like a pick six to get them going or something. Cause they're going to need help um, just offensively scoring points. There's too many questions around the QB health. Uh, we don't know about Jared Goff, the recovery he's making. Um, I don't know why I'm blanking on. Uh, oh, um, Wolford, John Wolford. Um, he went out in the ambulance. I know he's making a recovery now, but there's just a ton of questions with health. 
Um, I think Green Bay is going to look to stack the box, neutralize Cam Akers, not let him torch him like he did Seattle. Um, so I don't know. Like, like I said, I think the other games are going to be a lot closer than this, but um, I think LA will keep it close like through a couple quarters, but I think Green Bay is going to pull away one by a couple scores. Yeah, and I do want to start this off by saying poor John Wolford because he was actually leading a really nice drive against the Seahawks in that first quarter before he obviously had to be removed and go to the hospital. But like you said, the Rams have not declared a starting quarterback yet, so I guess that will remain to be seen. Um, This is the least intriguing game on the docket, but I'm actually still very intrigued by it. I think it's more of a testament to the other three games that we have this weekend. Um, There's a lot of intriguing uh, just storylines and matchups with this. I mean, you alluded to probably the best one, which is Jalen Ramsey, who I think you can make a legitimate case for Defensive Player of the Year. Definitely top three in my mind, along with Aaron Donald and TJ Watt. Going up against Devontae Adams, who... You can make the case has been the best wide receiver this year. I definitely think, and I agree with you, Aaron Rodgers should be the MVP, and it is not even close, and we'll kind of get into Mahomes in a bit here. Um, But him and Devontae Adams, without a doubt, have been the best one-two punch in the NFL, if you will. Um, I do think the Packers are going to do a better job at neutralizing Cam Akers in the way that the Seahawks could not. Um, I think they will stack the box and force either Wolford or Goff to throw, and as we've seen, Goff, even without his injury, um, there were a lot of reports that he's just kind of been losing his confidence over the last several weeks. So it'll be interesting to see how they do with that. Sean McVay is an offensive mastermind. So I think they'll come out with something. This game should be co- close for at least a couple quarters. I mean, I said it last year, or it's not last year, last week on the podcast, and I stand by it. I still think the Rams are the biggest threat to the Green Bay Packers to making it to the Super Bowl. I actually um, dislike this matchup in terms of the Packers versus the Rams compared to potentially the Saints or Buccaneers, who would they who they would play if they move on. So I do think it'll be a close matchup. The line right now on Bovada, which is the side I use for betting, is minus seven in favor of the Packers. I could see that leaning either way because Green Bay could go up late to kind of cover the line. So we'll see with that. One thing I do want to point out, in a season with no or limited fans, Lambeau Field is still a home field advantage for the Green Bay Packers, the frozen tundra as it is known as well. I think with that weather, the Rams playing an indoor stadium in cozy L.A., um, I think that's a disadvantage to the three teams that remain in the playoffs, all of which are located in New Orleans, Tampa Bay, and Los Angeles, where obviously the weather is nicer this time of year. So... If I have to choose a team, and I will, I think it's the Packers. I, I still do have confidence in them winning, and I don't think um, – I won't really have much doubt about that. It's just by how much. But I do have the Packers taking it against the Rams. Yeah, I think I think the point you raise about um, Lambeau Field is a really, really good point just because even if Goff, if his thumb is feeling a little better, he's struggled in the cold Um even even like forget about his confidence, just him playing in the cold, uh, whether it be from college to now go to, to go to L. I mean to stay in California from college to um the NFL. He's a, he's just someone that has, has struggled in colder weather. So I think that'll definitely be um something to keep an eye on. I mean, given we don't really know about John Wolford yet, so we'll see. Yeah, that will definitely be interesting to keep an eye on throughout that game. Uh what do you think, Ravens and Bills or Saints and Bucks? What should we go to next? Uh, well, let's stick with the NFC. We'll go. We'll okay. go Bucks Saints first. 
Because um, I think those are definitely equally intriguing matchups. So, yeah, go ahead with the Bucks and Suns. All right, sweet. Yeah, so, okay, obviously we got we got Breeze versus Brady. I mean, this is two of the best to ever do it. I think it's, I think it's just really cool that we're going to be watching, like, the top two leaders in career um, passing touchdowns. I think that's, like, I, think that's, I just think that's crazy. Like, that's all time. We're watching just two all-time greats, which – I think it's going to be something just to soak in as the game goes on. Breeze is five and three in their uh, in their career matchups. It's kind of cool because uh, they played each other in college, and then um, also played each other when Breeze was first starting out in uh, San Diego. That's a little throwback, throwback Drew Breeze for you, but uh, I think it's this is these are two guys that respect each other a ton. Um, two forty year olds that are still balling, which is awesome, and uh, I think. I think when you look at the, I mean, the last time they played, they got Tampa got blown out thirty-eight to three. But I think this is a different Tampa Bay team. And honestly, you mentioned the Rams being uh, like you think the Rams are the biggest threat to the Packers. I, I think the Bucks are um, right now, just because I think this is a different Tampa team. The last time, uh, I think it's a different team from the start of the year. I think the chemistry is a lot better. I think Brady's rolling now. I mean, just the whole offense too. These are the, this is the most weapons Brady's ever had, in my opinion. I mean, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown's coming along. He had a touchdown in the last game. But I think Leonard Fournette is going to be key, too, because with Ronald Jones, uh, I think, coming off of that concussion, we don't know how if he's going to be back. And no matter who's uh, in the backfield for them, I think if against that tough New Orleans defense, I think if Fournette or even if Jones comes back, comes back and get a, can get a couple carries – I think if they can get the running game going and open up those weapons for Brady, it's going to be a long, I think, a long day for New Orleans. But also, um, Tampa's rushing defense has really held opponents uh, in check all year, so it'll be interesting to see if Kamara can get anything going on the ground. Um, Chicago kind of held their own against him last week, but, I mean, the Bears just have no offense. I don't really want to talk about it. (laughs) But um, I think, uh, I don't know, I think we're going to see both 40-year-olds just lay everything out on the line and carry their teams. I think it'll be a shootout, but um, I think in the end it's going to come down to Brady just having more in the tank than Breeze does at this point. I think they both know that their time is time's ticking, so uh, I think you're just going to see them just go all out. And uh, if I had to pick a team, I'll, I'll go Tampa Bay by a field goal. Yeah, I want to look back real quick before I look forward. Uh, so the game with the Bucks and the Washington football team, uh, shout out to Washington's quarterback, Henneke, for absolutely balling during that game. I mean, I don't think anyone expected that, and he held it close for about three quarters. So that was cool to watch because they said like just a month ago he was taking classes at Old Dominion. And I think he still has finals to take. So, but no, that, that that's an awesome story. That I feel like um, in every sports postseason, you get guys that kind of kind of come out of nowhere. So it's always cool to see that. Um, as far as and you brought up the Saints and the Bears and the Bears not having offense, I do want to say this: the Bears have a Super Bowl caliber defense, and it's a shame that their offense can't get their shit together so they can make a deep run in the playoffs because. They are wasting a window right now, and I'm not high on Trubisky, though they should have never benched him for Foles, but Matt Nagy, I think, is the one that's holding this offense behind because he's supposed to be the offensive mastermind of a head coach, and when I watched that game, they just didn't seem to open up the playbook for Trubisky to give himself a shot. Mind you, he's also playing for his contract, so what do you have to lose? I mean, 
You're an 8-8 eight eight team in the playoffs. You're essentially playing with house money. Open up the playbook. Now, they had that shot downfield, and I'm blanking on the wide receiver's name. You should have converted that in the end zone. Yeah, Sims. Still, Sims. Yeah, yeah. Sims. And it's still, I think the Saints would have won. But I don't know. For me, the blame falls on Matt Nagy in that game. I feel like he was playing not to lose. But against the Saints team that their defense did their job against, you have to take some shots down the field and at least give your quarterback an opportunity. I don't know. I I, I pinned the Bears last couple of seasons on Matt Nagy, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, it, it's a shame with, with Matt Nagy because that first year, like when they won the uh, NFC North, and it was the the, uh, the double doink again uh, with Cody Parkey against Philly, with uh, Nick Foles filling in again. And, I mean, that team could have – that was Trubisky was a pro bowler that year. I mean – it's it, it's it's really a shame because you mentioned it's supposed to be that offensive mastermind that seemingly has just kind of disappeared the last couple of years and I don't know man it's the defense is there I mean you had, we weren't you weren't with Rokon Smith who has been one of the best linebackers really I, th- I would say in the NFC like or maybe even in the whole league this year so you lose him you're down a couple corners Buster Screen and um, I forgot the other guy's name last name was Johnson I don't know he was on the injury report. But you lose those guys. Um, I mean, but you have the defense and you have the running game. David Montgomery is the fu- is is the future in that backfield. He is, which is that is at least one positive that Bears fans can take away because coming out of Iowa State last year, he was he. I mean, he was exciting. You're okay. This he's a tough back. He's a big guy. He's gonna he's gonna run through you. But he wasn't quite what people wanted him to be early on. And now you look at him down the back stretch of this year. He's He's really emerged. So, I mean, you have the running game, you have the defense. I mean, and it's 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 tough with Mitch because he's improved. But with like you said, with, with Nagy, I mean, if your coach doesn't have any confidence in you to not just throw it downfield or even just drop something to throw it downfield, but even like if you bench him like he did early in the year when he had a winning record, I mean that sh- you don't have any confidence in your quarterback. How are you gonna How are you gonna progress? How are you gonna build that confidence and build a good like uh, relationship with them? So, I don't know if Trubisky is the future. I mean, right now, obviously, it's not looking so good for him. But I don't know, man. The, Bear- the Bears need some weapons. They need uh, gotta ha- stop having guys get thrown out of the game for like starting fights with the Saints. I mean, that happened like twice. The Saints, I don't mean to cut you off, but they do talk a lot of trash. So while I agree he shouldn't have done what he did, I'm sure some things were said. <laughs> no, no, I agree. I, I definitely agree. But it's like, is uh, I think it was yeah, Sims in like both games. No, no, no. Sims was in the first time they played. He just straight up walked up to the, uh, I don't know who the corner was, but he just walked up to him, tapped him on the shoulder and just completely clocked him. It was, it's kind of funny looking at the video, but that's the most amazing video I saw just because he hit him the first time. And I think he was so shocked or didn't realize what was happening. He just kind of stood there and he clocked him again. (laughs) Well, cause he just, he just literally just like walks. So he just looks so calm and so composed and he just taps him on the shoulder. Like, Hey, I gotta tell you something. And I just, boom, just, (laughs) <laughs> just, just absolute, just knock them out. But, anyways, I mean, yeah, you have Sims doing that. Anthony Miller, um, when you're already down, Darnell Mooney, he gets tossed, and it's like, I don't know, man. There's a, a lot of work Chicago needs to do offensively. You're not going to win any games if you can't score any points, man. So, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's not all, it's not all dark, but they, they have some thinking to do in the off season. 
Yeah, and with them making the playoffs, they're going to have a mid-first-round pick. So it'll just be interesting to see. Um, maybe someone like Zach Wilson falls there and they want to take him at quarterback. I know there's the kid from North Dakota State who's supposed to be pretty good. Or you draft a quarterback later in the draft and just try to go from there. Um, but I, I'm assuming they won't retain Mitchell Trubisky. And while I'm not high on him, I don't think he got a fair shot this season. So it, it will be interesting to see that. I guess as we go to this game, though, with the Bucks and the Saints – I thought it was really funny. I was on Twitter yesterday, and Tom Brady posted a picture of him and Drew Brees looking like they were 60 or 70 years old, and they had the History Channel logo in the background. So I thought that was <laughs> an amazing sense of humor by Tom Brady, and Drew Brees commented on it too. So like you said, I mean, you have two historically great quarterbacks. Um, Brady might be the best ever, and I think Drew Brees, for many people, is definitely top 10. So It'll be an amazing matchup. I think what they've been able to do as far as preserving their bodies this late into the career is just a huge testament to them. I mean, kind of saw what Big Ben looked like at this age. Um, I think drinking beer and hunting in the offseason and maybe a couple of yoga sessions here and there didn't bode too well for sustainability. Not that that was all his fault, but we'll get into that in a few moments. But um, I think Tom Brady does what he does. He put up great stats against Washington, and their defense was able to hold strong in that fourth quarter. Um, I, I think as far as the game itself, the Saints have the run advantage just because they have Alvin Kamara. But the Bucks can still run the ball with Leonard Fournette. And as you alluded to, if they can get Ronald Jones back, um, that will definitely help with the play-action game. I think facing Tom Brady, uh, especially at this point in his career, but really always, it's Death by a thousand cuts. I mean, he makes so many good pre-snap adjustments um, that there's always seems to be a guy wide open as long as they execute on the play. It is interesting. So the over-under on this game is 52 points. And I actually think the under might hit, even though we have two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. I just think both defenses are really good. Both have played well of late. Kind of like you mentioned, Tampa Bay is not the same team. They got beat once in a blowout and once in a game that still really wasn't that close by New Orleans, but that was in the first half of the season. So really neither team is the same as they were because I believe in both of those, that was before Drew Brees went out with injuries. So the Saints have evolved a lot since then as well, even though he is back. But the Saints are a three-point favorite. I actually like the Bucks in this situation. I think now that everything's clicking on offense, that they're the better team. I mean, you have... Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Scotty Miller's developed into his own. I mean, don't sleep on that, dude. They just have so many weapons offensively. I think the Bucks pull it off late. I really hope it's just a great game because this seems like it might be Drew Brees' last run in the playoffs and whether he wins or loses tomorrow, I still think Green Bay wins. So I think either of these quarterbacks go and face Aaron Rodgers and what will be another great just quarterback matchup. But I think for the fans, this would be a great way if this is the last time Tom and Drew play, just for it to be a great game. But give me Tom Brady and the Bucks on this one. Uh, I'll give it a field goal, too. I'll go with you on that. I do think this will be a really close game. No, I agree. I think, uh, like you, I think like you mentioned, both defenses can hold their own. But I don't know, man. I think this is all the, all the makings of just uh, two guys just going back and forth. TV ratings are going to go off the charts, so. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and now we will move forward to our next matchup, which is in the AFC. We have the Baltimore Ravens and the Buffalo Bills. And 
Take a look at this matchup. Lamar Jackson won his first playoff game, and so did Josh Allen, two young quarterbacks. I mean, the AFC at this point is really full of a bunch of young quarterbacks, but uh, I'll turn this one over to you as well. I think this has the potential to be a great game, but what do you got for me on the Ravens and Bills? Yeah, this is, um, other than the Browns-Chiefs, uh, this is the game I'm probably most excited to watch. I, th- I think, I mean, I, I mentioned how high I am on Baltimore in terms of the way they finish the season and just I think how much they have uh, just really set out to prove people wrong, specifically Lamar Jackson. Uh, and then with Buffalo, I'll be honest, man, I'm not sold on the Bills. Uh, I know a lot of people are, but and I, I mean, I, I would like to see them succeed. I'm not just because I think other than the Browns, I think Buffalo is that fan base where um, there's like that unwritten rule that Bills and Browns fans got to root for each other until they play each other. So, I mean, it would be cool to see them uh, succeed, but I'm just, I'm not sold on the Bills. I felt that, um, and this, I don't know if this is unpopular take or not, but I mean, I, I felt that Indy lost that game more than Buffalo won it. I think Frank Reich just had some God awful play calls and not to go on too much of a rant, but I don't get it like the fascinate I understand that sometimes analytics is going to tell you to um like go for two or to like go for it if it's like a fourth and two but if you need points and you don't need like a two-point conversion or something or if you can settle for a field goal then just take the points and there was like three different times where Frank Reich um like the game should have been like logistically if he, he just took a couple field goals the game should have been like should have gone into overtime and I just think that combined with penalties like just just stupid penalties um, that like weren't bad calls, but just Frank Reich just not having his guys ready. I thought that Indy lost the game more than Buffalo won it. And I think Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, I think they're going to get theirs. Um, I, res- I mean, respect the hell out of them. They're a couple of ballers, but I'm just not sold in the rest of the offense either. I get Cole Beasley um, somehow made all pro second team, which I was a little surprised by, but he I mean, nevertheless, he had a good year. But I don't know. I think especially now that Baltimore won't have to worry to uh, – about stacking the box like they did with Derrick Henry because Buffalo has a terrible running game, um, especially you lose Zach Moss um, for the rest of the postseason. And Devin Singletary has just been a load of disappointment. So I don't know. I'm not not sold on Buffalo offensively. But they have a solid defense, but after seeing Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines kind of run, run on them, put up some yards, I, I, just, I have some questions about them. And I think Lamar is playing with an edge. I think he's out to prove people wrong. And the thing that stuck out to me the most um, against Tennessee was he stuck to his like he stuck to his game like no matter what like Tennessee they were pretty like vocal before the game and even during the game we're not gonna let you run we're gonna do everything we can to stop you from running and the dude still put up like 140 rushing yards and and that one insane run like run where he that was the fastest I've ever seen a quarterback run maybe even a player I mean the guy he ran like 21 miles an hour. They clocked him, which was ridiculous. So um, I think the fact that he stuck to his game, even with Tennessee playing his run, is just a huge, huge thing to look for. Um, and I think Calais Campbell and those guys on D are going to get after Josh Allen, maybe make it a little tough. Um, although he showed last week um, the Colts got after him with DeForest Buckner and those guys, and he still put up some great numbers. But I think both teams are hot. It's going to be a really, 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 really um, good game. But I don't know. I'm not sold on the Bills yet, um, so uh, I'll take the Ravens. See, I actually look at it, and I do agree with you. I think Indianapolis lost that game more than Buffalo won it because if you and I think momentum's a huge thing too. So on that fourth and two at the goal line, that 
Indianapolis went for, had they just kicked the field goal and their defense had held Buffalo at bay to that point in the game, it would have been 17 to seven if my memory serves me correct. So I think with that, you know, um, they definitely had opportunity to win that game. That being said, this is going to sound kind of weird. I actually think it's good for Buffalo that they played in a really tight first game of the playoffs because we remember last year the Ravens lost, what, like two games heading into the playoffs, so they got that first seed in the bye. And then it just seemed like Lamar was a bit anxious and that team was a bit anxious and they got blown out by Tennessee, which, albeit they came out of nowhere last postseason, so that is fair too. But I am glad that Lamar shut the haters up. This whole narrative that he couldn't win in the postseason was such BS. I mean, the dude's 23 years old. He had played twice before, like, what won an MVP? What more did you want out of him? It takes time to learn. By the way, fun fact, Peyton Manning started his postseason career. Guess what? 0-3. So I just think that was a lot of BS. Um, Lamar, has he certainly played well in that game. Like you said, the Titans were talking a lot of shit. They did earlier in the season as well. Um, one of my favorite clips I saw on Twitter, too, was one of the Titans players said something to Lamar, and he just looked at him, and he said, bet, before torching him on the ground. So. <laughs> Uh, no, that was that was awesome. Um, I think this will be a great game. The line favors Buffalo by two points. I have to roll with the Bills. They were my pick at the beginning of the postseason to make it, and I think that that indie game makes them stronger. Not that by any means this is a close game, but I think Josh Allen has really evolved. We talked about this last week, and um, he's one of the best young QBs in the NFL. It'll be awesome to see what he does for years to come. Now, where the Bills are vulnerable, I think, is with their defense. So it'll be interesting to see how they do against the Ravens. I think it's a bend-don't-break mentality. If you can hold them to field goals and stuff like that instead of touchdowns in the red zone, I think that gives them a good chance. Um, I think this will be a hell of a matchup, though. I think I think a lot of points could be scored. This has the potential to be a high-scoring game, but... Give me the Bills in a close one, although I, it wouldn't shock me if the Ravens won either. You know, what I think it'll be interesting to see is um, you looked at how Buffalo went out and grabbed digs um, for Josh Allen. And I think that's, I think while Allen, I mean, naturally progressed, just given that extra extra year and more experience in the league um, and just being in that same system, which guys like Baker Mayfield can't really say within Cleveland. I'm sure we'll get to that, but like, I think you look at the way that Buffalo added digs and the way that it just opened up that entire offense. If the Bills win um, the, this upcoming week, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see if Baltimore goes out and tries to, whether it's in the draft or um, free agent or someone, or even through trade, just try to go out and grab Lamar like a surefire number one receiver, because that to me is the most notable kind of flaw in the Ravens offense is they don't have, a go-to guy. And like, that's where I think the criticism of Lamar as a passer goes a little bit unjust. Like he still needs to get more accurate and stuff and get, gather more confidence. But if Marquise Brown is your number one wideout at this point, I don't think that's really saying much at all. I mean, you have Mark Andrews, but Lamar's not working with a Stefan Diggs, who is really one of the best shown us this year is really one of the best uh, wideouts in the league and showed what he did in Minnesota. So I think if if um, Baltimore falls short, it'll be interesting to see if they go and try to grab Lamar, someone to uh, kind of really work with next year. So, I agree. It might be hard to. I don't think there's any pissed off wide receivers right now, so it might be hard to trade for one. <laughs> Although 
this draft class has the potential to have some great ones. Uh, one of those being Jamar Chase. So maybe depending on where he falls, you go out and get someone like that. Um, I agree. And listen, I think here's my prediction for next year. Lamar has improved something in his game each year he's been in the league. I think he'll be over 60% uh, pass completions next year because he, he clearly improves every year. And I, I think he hears the criticism. That's been his criticism this whole season. I, I think we'll see a drastically improved passer next year. Not that he's even a bad one either, but uh, since yeah, that is where the criticism's coming from. No, yeah, I agree. But that turns us to our favorite game of the weekend. Sorry, we oh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> We got the Cleveland Browns versus the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I will say this. The Chiefs open up as a 10-point favorite. So, uh, Vegas definitely does not have the Browns winning this game. However, they did turn a lot of heads in beating the Steelers on Sunday night in what was an absolute ass-whooping. So, I'll turn this over to you first, Andrew. But, I mean, the uh, city of Cleveland is pretty hyped right now about this football team. Yeah, man, I, I, w- I wish we had like a simulcast or something right now with our with um like a video because I just got this this smile that is as wide as can be and it's just frozen on my face right now. I mean, it's January twelfth, and we're talking about the Browns in the playoffs. Like, I, I I don't I don't really know what else to say, man. It's 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 not not bad for a couple of nameless gray faces at Juju Smith Schuster. Um. I mean, which, by the way, before we get into the game, I thought that was such a weird insult. I don't know about you. I was texting a friend of the show, Andrew Cregan, if you're listening. I was texting him about it, and I'm like, that's just such a weird insult. Like, I mean, it it reminds me of when Joe Kim Noah said he wouldn't want a vacation in Cleveland. Like, it's just, like, it's such an unnecessary, like, insult. I don't know what you think about that, but Well, before you continue, because I have some thoughts on this, um, First off, I, I always find it funny when athletes talk shit before a big game. And like, hey, I'm fine with you being yourself, but know that you're going to piss off 50% of the people watching that game. So you deserve what you get coming towards you, I feel like. But isn't it funny how it always comes back to bite them? Especially the one that never made sense to me is whenever athletes would say something about Tom Brady or LeBron James before a series or a playoff game. Like, remember <laughs> Reggie Jackson a few years ago when we played the Pistons in the playoffs and he kept – talking so much shit and then um who was it stanley johnson which he done in the nba actually i haven't heard anything about him since then but said he locked down lebron who put up by the way over 30 points on his ass i believe the game that he said that about and the Cavs swept them so i just don't understand that but also chase claypool yesterday saying that they're going to get their ass kicked by kansas city like dude shut the fuck up you lost (laughs) and you didn't just lose you got beat bad like I'm fine with players talking trash. I mean, some of the greatest ever have done it. I mean, Michael Jordan did it. Uh, Larry Bird did it. Randy Moss did it. But if you're going to talk trash, you got to back it up. And much less after you lose. Just shut up. Like, you can't say anything. Sorry, but that pissed me off. I, it's just no, talk to him. Talk to him, Mike. <laughs> Stanley Johnson, dude. I didn't. I didn't think we we're going into this episode. We'd, we'd see. We'd hear a uh, Stanley Johnson name drop. So it's yeah, uh, that's a name <laughs> drop for you, isn't it? <laughs> University of Arizona, the pride, pride of the Pistons on the wing. Not really. The dude was kind of ass. Um, <laughs> talk about, let's talk about the Browns and the Chiefs. Um, yeah. So I mean, uh, no one picked us against Pittsburgh. They said. Uh, they said, oh, everyone's hurt. Stefanski's watching from his basement, which, by the way, I felt like there should have been a Stefanski cam like in the bottom like left of uh, 
like a bottom left of the screen, the broadcast during the game. I thought that would have been so cool to see like his reactions, even if it was bad, like just to watch like the coach's reactions. Cause can you imagine like what he was doing in the basement when um, Pouncey snapped the ball over Roethlisberger's head, like 30 feet in the air. Like I can't imagine what he was thinking like that. And I don't know, man. I think to get into the actual game, um, I don't know. I think you look at you got Pat Mahomes. We know what he's about. I think I think he's gonna throw all over our secondary. Um, I mean, Big Ben threw for like five hundred something yards, but also like four interceptions. So I, I think Kansas City is definitely gonna move the ball a lot more. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if Denzel Ward and um, Kevin Johnson are back because. I mean, that's huge. That's our best corner and the solid slot corner in Kevin Johnson. So I think that'll be interesting. The one thing I'll say, too, is the Chiefs' D definitely does not scare me like the Steelers' defense did going into it. And I think that's really important to note because we put up, what, like uh, 38 offensive? Because I'm trying to think because we had the uh, the first the opening uh, opening drive um, defensive touchdown. But nevertheless, we, we, put up, we put up numbers on that Steelers' defense, and – I, that can't Kansas City. I mean, their de, their, their defense has been a weak spot for the last couple of years, uh, and I think look for Chubb and Hunt and Baker to pick up where they left off. Especially Austin Hooper, man, it it brings me so much joy to see him. He led the team in targets last game, and I think that is so important because when we brought him in from Atlanta, that's what he was there for was act as that safety net for Baker Mayfield, and I think. Now more than ever when we need it, that's what he's being. And you have Njoku who's blocking Harrison Bryant's that extra um, third tight end set with the threat. And so, I don't know, man. I think the Browns are motivated. I think they want it more. You mentioned Chase Claypool talking shit again, um, even though he's not even playing. I mean, like, what? What, what is he even doing? But, uh, I mean, nobody picked them against the Steelers. No one's picking them against Kansas City. So, therefore, Browns by a field goal. We're going to have an I, – I think, given my Ravens pick, I think we're going to see an AFC North championship. And I think – um, I think that'll just be sweet to see. Um, I mean, even even if it's Browns Bills, it'll be awesome. Uh, we're not we're not we're not we're not we're not rooting for the Chiefs. This is a Pat Mahomes hate week starts now, so uh, that's what I'm rolling with. Do you trust Cody Parkey to win us this game by? A few? Oh, dude, no, don't bring that up now, man. I got oh, you say his name and I just start shivering. I mean, the double doink in Chicago. Did you can know we... that he? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just going to say, can we just make it like a four-point win? So that means Kansas City kicked the field goal, but we just scored touchdowns, if you're going to go that route. Yeah. Please, yes, that, I, that is a great <laughs> point. I, uh, I just I, – I, I can't believe it was uh, – when we played against the Ravens um, on – I think was it Sunday or Monday night uh, not too long ago when um, there was that really, really close game, uh, they talked about – I think it was like Collinsworth or someone talked about how – Cody Parkey, and I think this is just a fascinating stat, has hit the upright more times than anybody in, like, the last, like, two years. Like, it's a, an absurd amount. Like, I feel like you have to try to do that. I don't know. I mean, it's I'm not a kicker, but that's, honestly. That's, it, it, be, that's being more accurate than kicking it through the upright in a sense. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I don't I don't know, man. How do you even do that? Like, if, I, if there are any kickers, I mean, if there are any kickers listening, like, Seriously, DM the show. Explain to us, like, because I really don't know, really don't know how you do that. But, anyways, let's go Browns. Brownstown is back, baby. I mean, it's it's a special time. Yeah, and I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think with that game too, the win is more of a testament to the culture change that has taken place, and I think it's here to stay. And I think that that win is proof of that. 
And I think that starts with Kevin Stefanski at head coach. I mean, you have an adult and one that's respected in the room. No disrespect to Freddie Kitchens, but I think players <laughs> listen, listen when Stefanski talks. And I think it's a testament to the leaders of that team, uh, Jarvis Landry, Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Miles Garrett on defense. Um, and I think it just shows – I mean, they got shit on all week, and they had every reason to lose that game, and they came out and they didn't. And for the first time in 18 years, the Steelers looked like the Browns did. The Steelers looked like the ones that were unprepared for that game. I mean, it started at the get-go with that first snap. So I think it's a huge testament to that um, Browns culture that seems to have adjusted at this point, hopefully for good. Um, You also had, and I thought this was hilarious, in his post-game interview, Baker was saying, I forget who it was, but one of the linemen that came in off the practice squad, literally the first time they met was in the locker room before the game when Baker went to introduce himself. So that's just awesome. And I think people were underplaying the effects of the guys that were out for the Browns. So super cool that they won. For the first time, it looked like the Steelers that weren't buttoned up against the Browns, which was kind of an amazing thing to see. Of course, I don't think any Browns fan was comfortable until there were zeros on the clock, but... What an awesome game. Even if they lose this upcoming one, it's definitely a step in the right direction. So great win. And then as we go on to this next game, um, it'll be interesting. I think it'll help, obviously, having your head coach there, as well as some key pieces and guys coming back. Hopefully, as you alluded to, if we can get someone like a Denzel Ward back on defense, because I think Mahomes will put up dots against this defense. I mean, in fairness, though, last week's stats were empty stats that Big Ben and Juju Smith-Schuster and the Steelers had passing against the Browns because they played prevent the whole second half. So I don't think his 500 yards means shit. When it actually counted, he was throwing picks left and right. Uh, so I do think we have to take that into account. However, I mean, the, the Chiefs have Travis Kelsey, who set the record for receiving yards for tight end. Tyreek Hill, no explanation needed. I mean, Nicole Harmon is a great third or fourth option yeah fourth because you have Sammy Watkins so a lot of weapons on that offense however I will say this and this is why I think Aaron Rodgers runs away with the MVP and this isn't I don't mean this as an indictment against Mahomes but you have to look at things realistically the Chiefs have played in seven straight one possession games now they've won all of them which is ridiculous because that just doesn't happen if you play in a stretch of seven straight one possession games but They're better than that. When you look at some of the teams they played, and this is my worry about the Chiefs. I think it's a Golden State Warriors effect that they had a few years ago in that I think the Chiefs were kind of bored in the regular season. They knew that they're better than everyone else. Uh, They still coasted to having only one loss, and that was to the Raiders in the early portion of the season. So, But it's different in the NBA playoffs when you have seven-game series to flip the switch. This is a one-game playoff that you have to flip the switch And mind you, Mahomes didn't play in week 17. And I get it, resting guys, I'm not going to say that that's a mistake. But that's a three-week break in between games. So will will they be off at all on offense? I mean, they came out slow against the Titans last year. They were able to come back. But I don't think you can expect coming back down by three scores every single game in the postseason. I will say this about the Browns as well. I think their formula works good against the Chiefs because they're a run-dominant team. I think they can run against this Chiefs team, especially when we have dual threats with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb both being in the backfield. So you keep Mahomes out on the sidelines. I think the game will be closer than that 10-point spread that favors the Chiefs. However, I pride myself on trying to look at things as objectively as possible. No. I want the <laughs> to win. 
Give me the Chiefs by a touchdown. However, I want the Browns to win, and that should count for something. No, <laughs> no. I mean, I, that's definitely a fair prediction. I think, I think it's. I want to stick on this for a second with that. Uh, the Warriors point, kind of, you brought up that mindset. I feel like where that differs too with football is it's a lot easier in the NBA, just given the amount of guys that are on a court and how players like centered it is in terms of if you've got a LeBron or a Kevin Durant or a Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, like I think if you have this, it's a lot easier to take over a game, especially in like short bursts. Um, and we all know, I mean, for people that watch the NBA now, it's a 20 point lead doesn't mean, doesn't mean anything. Um, especially now, but I think it's different where if you've got a 20, uh, 24 point lead um, over, say if the chiefs get down big, like they did last postseason. I mean, like you mentioned, it's not going to be super easy to just come back from that, especially if you've got a team as hungry as the Browns right now. So I think that'll be interesting to see if um, if if the Browns can get out to a really quick start. Uh, because, I mean, I think it works vice versa too, where if the Chiefs get out ahead of the Browns and really take control of that game early and you have Pat Mahomes at the helm, I mean, that's going to be hard to come back from too. So definitely a lot of stuff to look for. Absolutely. Should be closer, I think, than a lot of people think. Yeah, I think so. And uh, so kind of shifting gears to a different team in Cleveland. Um, we hit on the highs of the Browns. There were some lows. Uh, I know we, we, we got to get to with uh, the MLB. So Cleveland dealt Frankie Lindor. And I know this is going to be a tough topic for you to talk about. I know how big of a fan um, you are of the baseball team here in Cleveland and um, just what Lindor meant to the city, I think, as just that just the his infectious smile i think is what you hear about a lot and i just think really just being one of those one of like the pillars of cleveland sports the last several several years so losing him's not easy but nevertheless um i want to get your thoughts on cleveland dealing um lindor cookie carrasco um just first just first of all it's good to see that he's healthy i think first and foremost more than anything after what he's been through with um cancer treatment and everything so that's always good to see so but they dealt Lindor and Carrasco to the Mets for Andres Jimenez, Ahmed Rosario, Josh Wolf, and Isaiah Green. Um, so first, I'll kind of just get your general thoughts on that. And um, what does this mean for Cleveland going for, going forward? Yeah, one second. Let me see if I can find this here real quick. All right, well, I could not find it. I was going to play uh, <laughs> It's So Hard to Say Goodbye by Boys to Men. Um, <laughs> no, oh, well, I mean... <laughs> No, yeah, I mean, this trade absolutely breaks my heart. Uh, Francisco Lindor was the first player I really, like, followed through the minor league system. I mean, I went intentionally to watch him play when he was with Akron, uh, followed him through Columbus, and then when he made his debut in 2015. I mean, he did everything you could want an athlete to do. He was fun to watch. He was great at his craft. And he embraced the city of Cleveland, which not every athlete does. Not that they'll go out of their way to say bad things about it, but... He truly made an effort to be here, and the, they just couldn't meet the financial obligations of the contract. Um, and then, I mean, Carlos Carrasco hurts, too. I mean, everything that he did last year battling against leukemia um, and overcoming that. And uh, I know he gained his American citizenship while on the Cleveland Indians. And I think this is a testament to how close that group that made it to the World Series was. But, like, they would help him study for his citizenship test while they were on plane flights to away games and stuff like that. So 
these are really the last two remaining guys from that World Series core. I guess outside of J-Ram, because we do still have Jose Ramirez. Um, who knows how long for that. But no, it does hurt. But again, kind of looking at things objectively, like we try to do on this show. I, I mean, I think the Mets are World Series contenders now. I, they do need to improve their depth. But as of now, they have the fourth best odds to win the NL pennant and the sixth best to win the World Series, which I think tells you how good some of these teams in the National League are especially after this offseason. Um, st- I mean, you have to start with their rotation, even though they got Frankie Lindor. You're talking about Jacob deGrom, who's won two Cy Youngs in the last three years. Carlos Carrasco, who's a stud in his own right. Marcus Stroman coming back on a one-year deal. And coming back from Tommy John's surgery at some point during the season, Noah Syndergaard, who, when he's right, and I have an inside source, I'm not going to reveal them on the show, but I bet you they're listening this week, who told me, uh, that he knows that Noah Syndergaard is looking pretty good. So, I mean, right now they have studs on the mound. Uh, Lindor makes them better both offensively and defensively. They were one of the worst teams on defense. I think he's better than Ahmed Rosario defensively, who will be coming back to Cleveland as part of that package, actually. Um, but, yeah, he makes them better on both ends. I mean, in the lineup, they signed James McCannick catcher. Uh, he's a solid piece. He can hit just as well as Wilson Ramos did for them, but is a better catcher. Pete Alonzo, who, of course, was the home run leader in his rookie season. Jeff McNeil, who puts the ball in play just about every time he's up to bat. J.D. Davis. So they have guys in the lineup. Uh, don't be surprised if they get another bat, too. I mean, Steve Cohen, who's their new owner, has made it a point to spend money this season. So, I shoot. I mean, there's talks about them getting George Springer, Trevor Bauer, even if they get someone to sure up that back end of the bullpen, I do think that's also an area of concern. But Mets are contenders to me. And then when you look at the Indians, so they got Ahmed Rosario. They got um, Dominguez, I think is his last name, who's also an infield guy. And then two prospects who are 19 and 20. So we'll see what they'll do in a few years. I mean, that's still a little ways out. Um Right now, their payroll sits at $23 million. Keep in mind, arbitration is still coming up, so that will definitely rise. But it's the lowest in Major League Baseball. I mean, you're talking about a team that has a lower payroll than the Miami Marlins, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Oakland A's, the Tampa Bay Rays, albeit the Rays did make it to the World Series. So good on them. But it's crazy. And if you're going to do this, I mean, does it make sense just to clean house instead of lie to fans and saying that you're trying to compete? I mean... Why not just trade Jose Ramirez, Shane Beaver, and Aaron Savali and just get halls of prospects back so that way you have guys kind of like the Royals did like several years ago when they won the World Series. It's the Mm -hmm. same group that comes up together, so they're used to playing with each other for about 10 years. I mean, inevitably, they'll all go too because their contracts will be up at the same time, but why not do something like that? Um, If they do keep the group together, though, I mean, they'll pitch lights out. They always develop pitchers well. Their bullpen is underrated, too. Cam Hill, James Karachek, and Emmanuel Classe, all great relievers if Classe comes back. I know he had that PED suspension. So right now I have them at third or fourth in the division. I'm trying to think whether or not they'll be better than the Tigers. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, they definitely they aren't as good as they were entering the offseason. We might have a few losing years for baseball here. Well, no, I kind of want to stick with, uh, you mentioned Jose Ramirez. I mean, how soon, like, what does this mean for him? Like, how soon do you think it is until our next superstar is out the door? 
I think next offseason. I don't think they do it this offseason, but his contract's going to start, even though it's team-friendly, it's going to start going up the next couple years. So, I don't know, I think next offseason they move off him, especially if he has a good year and they know they can get value for him. I wouldn't be shocked at all. So then kind of sticking with the uh, AL Central, you mentioned you're kind of thinking about like third or fourth in the division. Um, we know about the Twins. We know we know what they're about. Um, the White Sox. I know we we mentioned we talked about them way back on our preview before. It's a team that I'm I just think is really really exciting, fun to watch with all the young talent they got. So I want to talk about the White Sox for a little bit. Um, Liam Hendricks uh, strengthening that bullpen just got dealt from the A's, the White Sox. So um, what are your thoughts on that trade? Kind of what Chicago's got going on going forward, like for next season. Yeah, I think so. That definitely solidifies the back end of their bullpen. And in terms of guaranteed money, I believe it's the third or fourth highest for a reliever in Major League history. And he is a legit closer. They got him from the A's. Um, we're also a farm system for other Major League teams. But I think I think the Twins take a step back, too. I, this might be, unless they expand the playoffs again, I, the AL Central might only put in one team, and that's the White Sox. But I think they can be very dangerous. I mean... You have their rotation with Dallas Keuchel and Lucas Giolito at the top. Uh, this tremendously helps their bullpen. I mean, a ton of young dudes offensively. Tim Anderson's one of my favorite players to watch in baseball. Jose Abreu, Luis Robert. Um, oh, what's the left fielder? Eloy Jimenez. So, yeah, the White Sox are going to be a great team. Uh, they're great defensively, great on the base pads. So, they're my, I think, far and away, they should be the favorite to win the AL Central. And, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if they made noise in the playoffs, too. But this signing definitely helps. It secures their back end of the bullpen. Um, and they shouldn't be susceptible to blowing late leads as long as he pitches up to his capability. Now, I want to I ask you something that you touched on a little earlier um, about the payroll in Cleveland right now. Would you say it was close to $23 million, I think you said? Was that yeah, it? but keep in mind with arbitration, okay. that will go up. So okay. expect around 35 to 40 yeah, that's all. Yeah, so let's call it like forty million um, at the start of the season, uh, just hypothetically, um, and that is, I mean, strikingly low for an MLB team. What are your thoughts on this? Is just kind of a bigger picture um, conversation. I, I know you touched on it a couple weeks ago, but the thoughts on the MLB not having a salary cap because um, teams like New York uh, and like owners like the new Mets owner who's made it a made it a point of I'm going to spend. Um, which is obviously great for his team, but I mean, not so great for teams with smaller payrolls. So what are your thoughts on the no salary cap and what that does for just the scope of the league? Yeah, um, it's tough because I think, and that's what allows the NBA and the NFL organizations to retain their star players in a way that many major league teams can't. So then part of that falls on the owners because I do think too, like owners need to, I, I don't, I think they have more money than they suggest sometimes and they need to pay for these guys. But at the same time, players will never sign off on a salary cap, I don't think, because that limits their ability to then get money, at least the high-end players. So it's a tricky situation for baseball. Um, yeah, I'd like to see one. I mean, they have the soft salary cap, but you just get taxed. You can still spend as much money as you want. So I think it would be better for the sport and the competitive of it competitiveness of it but i just don't see a situation in which that happens no yeah i feel i mean i i agree with you i do think it would it would i don't know i feel like it would bring maybe that's something that could help engage maybe younger audiences and just overall just a wider spectrum of cities but like like you said i mean i'm not really sure how they would go about that but 
um, definitely, definitely a tough time to be a Cleveland fan, but, uh, I mean, not for Browns, the Brown Browns are chilling, but, uh, <laughs> baseball might be in for a little bit, a little, little bit of a rough patch going forward, but Hey, we're, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll ride, we'll ride what teams we got going on right now. Cavs are right in the middle. So <laughs> yeah, God, man, the, the, well, when we talk about Cleveland sports, we we'll talk about the Cavs for a little bit. They got their whole teams like hurt, man. It sucks, but Hey, the, yeah. yeah, it's all right. We'll bounce back. Right, let's jump into hoops. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Uh, great transition as always. Uh, yeah. So basically what we're doing this week, we've kind of highlighted some teams in the past. Uh, we just have some, and it's still really early in the season, some sleeper teams and players, and I'll let you go first, Andrew, but what do you got for me on some teams that might be looking to upset a little bit here as the season moves forward? Yeah. So definitely like still early on. So it's, it's just, so it's a fun time of the year where, um, every year we look at teams, we just get off to like weirdly hot starts, like the Knicks are looking like a basketball team, which is just weird on a couple different levels. Uh, you got the Cavs were out to a good start. Um, well, out West, uh, no, West is looking for, well, OKC out West is uh, chilling right now with, I think they're like five and f- close to 500 or something. But um, I got one sleeper team out East and one out West. So that I want to talk about out East. Um, this is a team that I was big on preseason. And I like what I see so far as the Charlotte Hornets. Um, I think they have a ton of young talent, a lot of fun talent, really. Um, you got guys like we know about LaMelo Ball. Miles um, Bridges is someone who uh, is really, really glad he stayed at Michigan State. P.J. Washington, Devontae Graham. Terry Rozier is still young, which feels like he's been in the league for a little while because of those years in Boston um, when they were playing LeBron and the Cavs. But, I mean, nevertheless, just a lot of just exciting guys, I feel like, that are, um, really just know how to play basketball. And so I think – I mean, I had them preseason as a, as a uh, top 10 seed, um, number 10 to be exact, just because I think they're going to be on that fringe uh, competing with teams like um, maybe maybe the Cavs if we kind of get our health together and stuff, and Orlando, Indiana, um, maybe Washington if they can turn it around. But I don't know. I think they're going to secure a top 10 seed. Uh, LaMelo Ball, too, like I touched on. I Just like the way that he's the way that this guy sees the floor is really insane to be so young. And I think overseas definitely helped a lot with this and just the way that he played, he's always played from his days in Chino Hills with his brothers, just moving the ball up floor, just playing with that speed, always, just always going. I mean, I just, you look at him play now. I mean, just recently the youngest ever to get a triple double, which is, I mean, that's a, he had a legit triple double, like 22, 10 and 10 or something. And, Man, he's he's gonna be he's gonna be great for years to come. And Gordon Hayward too, I think he just keeps them grounded. And I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna lie. When they signed him to that big contract, I was a little at first. I was like, eh, I don't know about this. Like, he's not really what he was in Utah. That injury in Boston kind of hurt him. But man, he's he's playing up to that contract. He just dropped like 44 uh, career high a couple of days ago, and he just serves um, as that veteran presence. Him and Bismack Biombo, believe it or not. I mean, he's. He's 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 playing. He's he's holding his own right now. He's not quite what he was in that Toronto postseason a couple of years ago. But man, I just think they have such a they have a cool blend of just a lot of young talent and a couple of veterans that are going to keep them grounded and uh, well coached too. So they're it'll be fun to keep an eye on them going forward. No, yeah, actually, that was my sleeper team out east too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean they've been playing as of late they're first in assists per game seventh in opposed opposition points per game and i think defense is where we thought they would all struggle coming into the season and you hit it on the head with a mellow adjusting but i mean you basically hit on all my points and once they click offensively 
because that's where they struggle. I mean, if they're already playing well defensively, yeah, look out. I like Lamella. He's all right. Yeah, I think I, I think the East is just – I think they're deeper than this year. I think that this is the deepest it's been in a long time. I think because we know about Brooklyn. Um, we'll see if Kyrie, Kyrie comes back to the team anytime soon, and Durant just made his return back against OKC. But I think if those guys are healthy, we know what they're going to do. So you jump them, throw them into the mix. Um, Orlando, uh, Indiana has been – DeMontis Sabonis is playing out of his mind. Uh, which is cool to see because his dad, Arvidas Sabonis, way back in the day, I mean, he's someone that uh, I think really gets forgotten in terms of just great players just because a lot of his work was down in Europe uh, before he came over to Portland in the early 2000s. So, like, you just to see, like, for that father-son, um, I don't know, like, the, the success, it's a cool story. But I don't know, man, the East is deep. Uh, and no, I mean Charlotte's Charlotte's gonna make some noise. I mean, like it, like it's early, but I don't know, man. They're they're gonna they're gonna be doing some stuff. I think. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh, I mean, so I'll I'll give my team out west though too. While we're while we're sticking with this, um, now this is this is a team that I'll be honest, like I, I don't, know, I kind of forgot about uh, going into the year. Um, San Antonio Spurs. They uh, obviously they're not gonna do any real real damage out west, but. I don't know. I think I went with Charlotte, who I think is going to be like a top 10 seed, like uh, maybe around that 10 or 11 slot. I think out West San Antonio could be looking in that same, that same range with that 11 to 12 range. And you look at Memphis losing John Morant early on. I mean, hopefully he comes back and makes a good recovery because he's just a special player in his own right. Um, I think they could be competing for a play in down the stretch and they played both LA teams so far tough, really tough early on. Uh, really, I think it's an intriguing balance of young talent and veterans, similar to Charlotte, but I think a little more, a little more balanced than them. Because with Charlotte, we talked about Gordon Hayward, um, Bismack Biombo, and more so they just have a lot of young guys going, uh, rolling with the, rolling with them. But San Antonio, you look at Dejounte Murray is finally healthy, and he was someone who was poised to break out last year before getting hurt. Uh, Lonnie Walker, who I thought was a steal coming out of Miami, Kellen Johnson out of Kentucky too. Uh, those are just three guys that are really, I don't know, three guys that may not, probably not like star, superstar potential, but just a lot of really solid players that I think are going to be in the league for a little while. And um, my guy, DeMar DeRozan, who I, I think has been one of the most underrated players in the league over the last three to four years, he set that culture in Toronto. We know that Kawhi came in and delivered him the title, but I think without DeRozan, kind of just really establishing, I mean, how many times they came so close and then just ran to LeBron in Cleveland. I mean, seeing him facilitate a lot more now in San Antonio is just really cool to see. Uh, he's been, he's posted some of his most efficient numbers over the last couple of years. Right now he's averaging career high seven assists per game. And um, I think you can't forget about Patty Mills too. Man, he's been playing forever, but his scoring has just been revived. He's been dropping 20 point games um, first half of the year so far. Marcus Aldridge. So, I don't know, just a team to look out for that could be in that playing uh, playing spot down the stretch. No, and I think with Popovich, those teams are always competitive. I know for me, and this is wishful thinking to be honest, but we'll see. They're 10th in points per game, but 28th on defense, so they <laughs> give up a lot of points. But I got to go with the Kings. I feel like I've been saying it for three years now, and I'm just hoping it clicks at some point. <laughs> Love the Aaron Fox, 18-5 and five with points and assists. Uh, Buddy Heald can still strap. I'd like him to be a bit more consistent. Um, but yeah, it's wishful thinking. I'm just going to go with the Kings. This has to be the year they make the playoffs, right? Like, come on. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, especially now with the uh, with the playing spots with the nine, nine and ten. I mean, that this is this if they're gonna do it. I mean, this has got to be the year. I feel like because De'Aaron Fox looks like he's 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 making that next jump. I mean, he's a dynamic scorer, but um, last night he had a couple uh, really great just down the stretch, a couple a couple nice finishes and. Buddy Heald, uh, there was some friction with him and Luke Walton last year, but hopefully they worked it out. I mean, the dude can strap and just really helps with the spacing. And I don't know, the Marvin Bagley stuff is really funny. I don't know if you've seen, but like his uh, his dad and like Deer and Fox's dad going back and forth on Twitter and uh, Marvin Bagley's dad just tweeting at the Kings, like, trade my son. Uh, I did see that. Which is, well, they need to get yeah. Luke Walton out of there. That was never a good hire in the first place. So he he was great in Golden State as like just a good like player guy like just a good good uh, I don't know, good player development glue guy but I don't know I I it's if Sacramento doesn't if they're not pushing for that ninth or tenth slot I I think it'll just be a huge disappointment every year so it'll be interesting to see going forward. Yep, and then also do you have one or two players too that you feel like are kind of on the come up if you will or maybe are making that next step towards really improving their game. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I got to talk about, I've mentioned him like, I know like uh, last year, like, so like last season on our show, when we talk hoops, I would mention him like a lot in our, my previews and stuff. And man, I got to talk about him again. Zach Levine is severely underrated. I mean, I don't know how much, I don't know how many times, like I got to say, it, dude, he just, the reason I'm bringing him up now is because he just dropped 45 on the Clippers um, and Chicago. They, they, they lost, they lost down the stretch, but the fact that it was close and he plays for the bulls. I mean, I just, I really, I really want to talk about Zach Levine really quick this year. He's averaging 28, five and five. The last three years, he's been averaging an efficient 25, 26 a game and casual NBA fans are never going to hear about him because he's on the bulls. Um, and he's consistently just snubbed off of, the like I'm not saying he's a top ten player, um, like in terms of top ten, like twenty five and under, um, because there's all people always making those lists, but he should at least be an honorable mention. And I can't tell you how many times I've looked at lists and he's not even like considered. And I think it's ridiculous. I think at least bring up his name on those lists. And I'm not I'm not throwing any specific writers or anyone under the bus, but it's just a general thing where he just seems to just get left in the dust. Because he plays for the Bulls, I know I mentioned it a couple of times, but I just really got to emphasize that. And all I want is to see him as a second or third option on a contending team, and that's that, that's all. Is that too much to ask for? I mean, I don't know, man. I'm not. I'll get off my Zach Levine soapbox, but it's just like enough is enough. <laughs> no, and I think eventually once he hits free agency, he'll reach that point. So hopefully, we get to see him. In postseason games, mine's actually going to be another two guard, and that's CJ McCollum. Um, Respect, yes, he's, he's steadily improved every year in the NBA. But I mean, this year, dude, so far he's gone off twenty eight points, four boards, five assists. But for me, it's his shooting late in games that has really impressed me. Um, I mean, he just had the game winner uh, Monday night against. I forget, but shoot, he had a game winner. And it was unbelievable, but like he's hitting threes at an unbelievable rate this season. And he's just, he seemed to really turn the page to where now you can legitimately be like, he might be a top five or top three shooting guard in the game. That's exactly what Portland needs if they want to ultimately get to that final destination being in the finals. So I'll always love CJ's from the 3 3 0, but I think this year has really turned the page. Dude, he He's another guy who has been extremely underrated the last couple of years. And like, 
not taking away anything from Dame Lillard because, I mean, he does what he does. Um, he, you know he's going to put up his numbers, but I think playing next to Dame, um, that I think you just see him get overshadowed, similar to what we've seen with Klay Thompson uh, for a ton of years, really on those runs where you've got Curry kind of really getting all the limelight and Clay's doing a lot of the dirty work, especially defensively. And I think I just, I love that you brought up CJ McCollum just because he has got to be one of, if not like the smoothest players just in the league in terms of the way that he's got, I mean, such an underrated handle. Like I, mean, I love the mid range game too. He, he just utilizes that. And I don't know, man, I, I think this could be a, I think, I think Portland's going to finish uh, with a high end seed in the West. Um, I still don't – it's early, but I still don't think uh, come postseason, I don't think they're going to do any real damage um, in terms of getting to the finals. But, uh, man, CJ, CJ is, he, he's a bucket. He's a bucket. No, he really is. And I guess transitioning here to our last segment, we already talked Tribe and we talked Browns, so sticking with hoops as it is, uh, what do we got on the Cavs? <laughs> yeah, well, everyone's hurt. Um, <laughs> that is true. They can't Everybody- score. Yes, they can't score. They they love to play through Andre Drummond, um, which is uh, yeah. nice, I guess. Um, <laughs> but no, the whole team's hurt. Uh, JB Bickerstaff's a hell of a coach, man. I I, I love that he we don't have John Beeline anymore. Um, he just was never never the right fit in terms of just really meshing with those players, which I think is extremely important. And uh, no, I love what he's doing with the young talent and. Although the although the team is hurt, I mean, more seeing Morthon Maker is fun. He's uh at one point I'm pretty sure we were playing Thon Maker, Larry Nance, and Andre Drummond, um at once, and like our our shortest guy on the court was like six six or like six five I think it was like Damian Dotson, uh, and it was uh no it was it was cool it, it just looks like they're just they're kind of just doing whatever they mixing different things up until they get Sexton and Garland and uh. Who knows if Kevin Love's ever going to play? Um, he's he's been dealing with so many injuries, and, I, and he just he wants out he wants out of Cleveland, and I can't blame him. Like I, if I was at that point in my career, I would want to be on a contending team too, like a legit contending team. So um, I don't know, man. Let's let's hope we get healthy, and then uh, we'll see what we got going on from there. Yeah, I think uh, you you hit everything on the head, so I want to add too much onto that. I just think realistically, our expectations should be floating around five hundred the whole year, and maybe competing for that plan. So. Right now, they're on pace for that. Um, once they get dudes healthy, they'll be better offensively. But I, I'm still going to enjoy watching them this season. So, Cleveland sports, folks. Cleveland sports. <laughs> uh, we we got the Browns. That, 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 that's, that, that's, that's what's going on right now. We, uh, we'll, we'll put basketball and baseball on the back burner. Right now, it's all football. It's Brownstown is back. So, we'll see what we're talking about next week. We'll see if we uh, we got a little Browns AFC title game. Um Hey now. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> but Mike's Mike's happy. But no, with that, um that that's our show for today, everyone. So um as always, thanks for tuning in. And uh if you ever wanna hear anything specific talked about, feel free to DM us uh, on Twitter, Instagram at off the wall underscore pod, and uh yeah, we'll see you next week.